Ladies and gentlemen and everyone else, you're back here listening to Woody Adjacent, which is part of the Woody Allen Retrospective podcast. Welcome back. You're here with me, your host, Donald Wonder, the host of the most, and my wonderful, super talented, super informative American superstar co-host, James Daniel Walsh. What an introduction I'm giving you, sir. How are you doing? Uh, good. Don't Don't hold me being American against me. I absolutely have to. <laughs> oh, thank you for joining me, James, on this one. As usual, you are a delight to do these recordings with. I think we are... Hmm, we've been doing adjacent for nearly two years plus, maybe. And I think this might be our 21st movie, just with adjacent, not Woody Allen. But the last movie we spoke about, for those who are subscribed to the podcast and who've been following... Last time we spoke about that 1997 black-casted movie, Have Plenty. If you missed that discussion, why don't you consider subscribing to the podcast if you're not already? We've got clips on YouTube, on the Manic Expression YouTube channel that we would love for you to partake in. But I also want to implore you guys, it really helps a lot if you review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Now, I know you might not be listening to it on Apple Podcasts. You might be listening to it on Pocket Cast, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher Radio. We're everywhere. But if you could somehow find the time in your wonderful heart to put a review for Apple, it helps the algorithm, helps the scroll, or just tell someone you like or someone who you may think like the podcast. Help us scroll. Thanks for listening. And on that long-ass intro, James... What are we going to be talking about today? Uh, a movie whose title I might butcher, but I'll do my best. We are going to be talking about Synecdoche, New York from 2008, written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. You know what? I Before we started recording, I was debating playing the trailer for this one. But because this movie in itself is special <laughs> and um, speaking to you, Last time, James, you said you had watched this movie before. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to start with you. Well, actually, before we even get into any of that, James, let's be let's be basic. Let me be a basic bitch and ask you, James, what is the synopsis of this movie? What is this movie about? And then I'm going to ask you the follow up. You know, I want to know your history with this movie, but tell everyone what the movie is about. Uh, the movie stars Philip Seymour Hoffman as Caden Cotard. He is a uh, theater director who uh, gets a chance to make his dream project. And it uh, it's very difficult, because this is a Charlie Kaufman movie, to distinguish what's reality and what isn't. But uh, basically, the, the project grows and grows and ends up becoming sort of a, a world unto itself. I think that's a fair description. Now, for those who don't know who Charlie Kaufman is, why don't you, you know, enlighten the audience a bit about maybe some of his previous works and why this director slash writer is so interesting from your perspective? Charlie Kaufman is maybe the most Woody Allen director that we've actually talked about. 
Like other directors we've talked about are trying to be Woody Allen. Charlie Kaufman is a director in the same vein as Woody Allen. A lot of the same themes, a lot of the same ideas. He he has a more surreal uh, way of making movies than Woody does, although Woody has had his surreal moments before. Uh, but uh, he is the writer of such classics as Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and uh, and he directed this one. He also, I, I found out recently uh, that he directed a movie just a, a couple years ago called I'm Thinking of Ending It. Yeah. Charlie Kaufman is brilliant. He's... Uh, a legitimately brilliant person and like most legitimately brilliant people, he seems really fucked up <laughs> and, but he lays it all out there in, in his movies for us to see that. Uh, and I, I've always thought that he was really brave in the way that he does that. And like with Woody Allen, if you watch his movies, you get a sense that the lead actor is trying to be a version of him. John Cusack in being John Malkovich and uh, Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine, Philip Seymour Hoffman in this, Nicolas Cage in adaptation, quite literally trying to be a, a version of Charlie Kaufman. So he and Woody have a lot in common. And uh, I, I'm actually surprised that I, that, that uh, you came up with this movie because, and that I haven't thought of any Charlie Kaufman movies to talk about on this podcast because they they do have quite a lot in common. I don't want to take credit for that because actually, let me just announce as well, I'm going to stop being a selfish bastard. This movie we're talking about today was requested by a lot of the users of the Woody Allen subreddit. When I was coming up with Adjacent, Woody Allen Adjacent Project, I asked the Woody Allen fans and subscribers on the, uh, the Reddit page, what movie should we talk about? And this was one of them. This and I think this and France's Ha were probably two of the most highly requested. You guys should talk about that if you're fans of Woody Allen. There's a lot of parallels. Da 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 da. So I can't take credit for that. And the change I want to make is um, since we've done a Jason, I've picked two movies. I got two because I do the editing and all that. So I get special powers. And I gave James one because he's just talking. And I thought, let me punish him by giving him one and I'll take two. But not only is that not fair, but we've got a whole list of movies requested by you listeners and people from the subreddit. So what I want to do from now on is one for me, one for James and a request. And James, before we started recording, you know that we've got a, a lot of movies that was requested that we're going to go through. So mm-hmm. let me give it to the, the fans to say, what a pick. I had never heard this movie before. I am a, I, I was an unknowing fan of Charlie Kaufman because I didn't actually know he wrote all of those movies you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I, I love adaptation. I love well. Jim Carrey is actually my favorite actor. I enjoy watching his performances. And Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Minds is one of my favorite movies. Conceptually, is amazing. The acting's amazing. You know, this movie. I uh, it's uh, it, it, watching this movie coming away from it. I realize how much I've changed as a person consuming media, and now. I just want to briefly explain because I know you've already seen this movie, James, but I hadn't because my initial response coming away from this movie was, I don't know how I meant to feel about this movie Mm -hmm. because the way it was constructed, 
the one if I to if I had to use one word to describe the movie, for me it would be absurd. Yes. Not in a negative way, but just absurd is just I couldn't take this movie seriously by the end of it. I was like there's so much to decipher. There's so much to decipher with this movie. Mm-hmm. And I kind of I felt I felt like my opinion was leaning towards negative and I'll break down why as we go along. But I do want to say, and this is something that has changed with me as a person over the years. And I know a lot of people will not appreciate this because I read a lot of books um, and you yourself being an author, James, mm-hmm. over the years, I found that when I listen to why a director made a movie or a story and I hear their reasonings, that actually makes me enjoy their stories, materials, or their creations even more. So when I first stepped away from this movie, I was thinking, I I don't know how to feel. Then I listened to an interview with the director-writer and then it gave me a new appreciation for the movie itself. Now, I know a lot of people would say, you know, Take the movie for the movie. Don't bring the author's, you know, uh, will will into this. You know, it kind of muddies the waters. But I'm sorry, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm a YouTuber or a podcaster. When I hear the creative endeavor of the actual person making whatever they're making, it somehow influences me to see it more from their perspective and enjoy it more. It just, for some reason, it heightens the movie experience for me. And I will say, on listening to Charlie Kaufman talking about why he made this movie, and I'm going to play a clip about this as well. I felt like he was a very humble person. I actually felt like he was genuine in what he was trying to do, and that made me see this movie in a different light. If I didn't hear him talk about making this movie, to be honest with you, my opinion and feelings would it would slant more negative, and I will explain why. So I want to put all that out there first, a bit front-loaded. <laughs> But um, James, I don't know if you can relate to anything I just said, but firstly, I want to hear you know your thoughts about the movie as well. Uh, I I I saw the movie um, not in theaters, but I saw it when it came out uh, on DVD back when you know Netflix was you would you would uh, they would send you discs. Uh, that's that's how I saw this for the first time, and it was because I was a fan of the other Charlie Kaufman movies that I wanted to see it. Um, when you said to me that this was the next movie, my reaction was, oh, I've seen that. But in my head, I was also thinking, oh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not because it's a bad movie. This yeah. is a heavy movie. Mm. I would compare this to something like schindler's list or 12 years a slave or something like that something where you know you don't you don't watch it and you're entertained i had this thought in my head you ever see the commercials for a movie like a fast and the furious or a conjuring movie sure like audiences are raving and then they talk to people who've just come out of the the theater Mm -hmm. i imagine that but for this movie (laughs) and people just coming out, you know, what did you think of this? And uh, I I don't know, we're all going to die. Maybe I should just go home and kill myself. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, 
there is stuff in this movie that that even though I only saw it the one time and I I saw it and anybody who who will like watch a video that I make where I'm in front of my DVD shelves you you can see how big my collect you can see people go wow your collection is huge and I'm like you're seeing a quarter of those shelves mm. I don't own this movie I think this is a brilliant movie and I don't own it because I don't really want to watch it. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's not a fault of Charlie Kaufman. I like I said, Roger Ebert shortly before he died, he said that this was the best movie of the decade and that he might even possibly uh, consider putting it in his like top 10 movies of all time. I wouldn't go that far, but I, I might say it's one of the best movies of, of the decade that it was released in. Um, it, it's a really ambitious, thoughtful movie, but man, you got to just be ready to nothing good happens to this person <laughs> in the course of the movie. And mm. Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is not even one that you can necessarily root for, but not every movie has to be, uh, you know, something where you come out feeling great afterwards. Sometimes a, a heavy movie that makes you think, it's not going to make you feel uh, like dancing out of the theater. And to be honest with you, you can say that against the other movies that he's made. Adaptation, oh, yeah. Sunshine, the same. They're, you know, are very... T- dark, twisted, comical, but sad movies, but touching at something a bit deeper. Eternal Sunshine has the happiest ending out of any of those. And it's it's basically like, you, you know, uh, we fucked up our relationship. We're probably going to do it again. Yeah. But, and that's like the happy ending is, well, they're going to try. I love that. But you know, that movie is on adjacent. That movie's coming up. I love that movie. I do too. And that's a movie I did not like the first time I watched it because it was, oh, anyway, let's leave that till then. But sorry, James, continue. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, and I, I have this, like, I I had this feeling as I was watching the movie and it's something that I've thought about just in general. But um, when I started looking into, you know, I, I started doing a little bit when we could talk about this too. We started we both did some research into the movie and ended up coming across the same mm-hmm. um, video series about it on YouTube. But, you know, when I found out, oh, because I thought, wow, I, I can't think of anything Charlie Kaufman has done since this. And then I looked into it and I was like, oh, he made a movie like a year or two ago and it went out on Netflix and I've never heard of it. And yet every time, you know, I, I watch my, uh, I watch all the streaming apps through my PlayStation. Every time I turn it on and I go to the app where, you know, the, the area where it's got all of the different uh, apps in it, you know, do you want to watch She-Hulk? Do you want to watch Rings of Power? Do you want to watch uh, new Game of Thrones show? And I'm like, my girlfriend and I were sitting there and we're looking at like just that page. And she just goes, wow, there is nothing original. No. Out of, all of these new things that they're promoting, none of it is an original idea. And the fact that the, a Charlie Kaufman movie came out 
and came and went and nobody talked about it. I don't remember seeing any reviews for it. Um, Netflix didn't recommend it to me. I had no idea it existed. Fuck you, Netflix. (laughs) Well, James, let me stop you there and say, when that movie came out, which is, I'm thinking about ending things. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did hear about it. I did hear the reviews. Not only that, someone spoiled the ending. I haven't even watched the movie and someone told me the ending. Because again, it's another mindfuck movie with a, with, a, with a spoiler ending, kind of a twist, which I'm not going to spoil at all. And I thought, when I heard the t- twist, I thought it was very creative. Again, I did not know it was Charlie Kaufman. Ooh. So when you string all these together, when you look at his library of works, I'm really impressed with what he's trying to do. I really am impressed. But it's time for us to, to dissect this movie in particular. And let me start by saying... The clips I'm going to be playing to discuss, to bounce off and explain why I feel the way I feel about the movie. The YouTuber that we mentioned is a YouTuber called YourMovieSucks.org. That's his channel name. He's got over a million subscribers right now. And he did a five or hour plus series. He broke up into five, six parts discussing the genius of... Uh, Sinoche, we'll, we'll, we'll play the pronunciation that way. Sinoche, New York. He broke it down why it's his second favorite movie of all time. I'm going to be playing clips from that, but I'll also link it in the description if you're interested. If you've watched the movie and you want someone to kind of give their perspective and break down, it's amazing. He did a fantastic job. And again, hearing his perspective on the movie and it, it helped me appreciate the movie more. And on that note, I'm actually going to play the first clip because he does a great introduction to what this movie's about and we'll start bouncing things off and I'll start breaking down why I'm somewhat conflicted on this movie. So let's play the first clip and let's start this journey into madness. Synecdoche, New York by Charlie Kaufman is my second favorite film of all time, and it is one that deserves to be interpreted. And if you haven't actually seen the movie yet, I encourage you to watch it and come back. This movie is the directorial debut of Charlie Kaufman, who's famous for writing films like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Adaptation, and Being John Malkovich. And with this film, it's clear that he wanted audience members to be able to develop their own interpretations. He very well could have included a commentary track on his Blu-ray, but he didn't, and I can understand why he wouldn't exactly want to explain everything. The whole point of writing something is to have people experience it. And if I sit here and say, well, this means this and this means this, not only is it pointless because it either means that to people or it doesn't, it also gets in the way of people having their individual experience of, of the movie. So um, I try to put enough in there so that so that, so that that people can inter- interact with it on an individual basis. So my sort of pontificating on it would be meaningless. For me, watching the movie... And not knowing what to grasp on, hearing him say that, essentially, and I'm going to really dumb this down and just say, this is more of an experience of ideas and and concepts rather than a narrative movie that he leaves created in an ambiguous way where you can take what you want from it. That's why I couldn't be that mad because I was like, oh, so I'm not, so I can't be angry at the way the movie's executed because... Everything about this movie, in a way, to me, is scatterbrained. Like, I'll start from the beginning. The movie, to me, the editing is kind of at a breakneck pace. It just cuts and cuts and cuts and cuts the scenes. 
And it's it's just getting his point across. And I was like, is it just me or this movie rushing to what it's getting to? Like, what is going on? The first 24 or 25 minutes of this movie, again, Philip Seymour Hoffman, his partner slash wife and his kid are just together. Something's off. He's really sick. But then he, he gets very, very, he gets more sick in a comical way. They kind of make fun of how he's getting sick or the the tone of his illnesses is done in a way that I can't take seriously. It's kind of comical. And I'm like, is he really sick or is this in his mind? And add to that, the passage of time in this movie, as I was watching the movie, he would be like, oh, that was yesterday. And the, 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 the uh, cast, the other people in the movie would say, no, that was five years ago. And then I'll be like, is this guy losing his mind or am I losing my mind? But then as the movie went on, he starts to age drastically. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And by the end of the movie, you might as well say 30 years have passed. At least. And then I'm just like, what am I watching? But that's just part of what was for me about the movie. But I'll stop and say, here in the dirt to say, this is a movie of ideas and concepts about the human condition. And I was like, okay, so I'm not losing my mind. This isn't a straightforward narrative. He's just throwing a lot of shit at you with a very high, high concept idea around the theater director and his concept, very meta, which I'll get into too. But, you know, again, came away very negative thinking, what the fuck did I just watch? And now hearing him say, okay, it was intentional. I'm kind of, oh, okay, okay, okay. Maybe I need to rewatch this again, which I won't. <laughs> but James, honestly, hearing people, him talk about the movie, people break it down that, okay, so this isn't a movie per se, but a collection of ideas formulated around a narrative of a director creating a movie about his life. Uh-huh. Which, which is very ambitious and very cool, but very woody. You know what? I'll get to that because I think what Charlie Kaufman's done is four steps ahead of what Woody Allen would have done. Like when I think of Woody Allen, I think broad strokes. He likes his stories. He likes to tell a story through characters. This is a bit again, like you said, he's a bit more experimental than what Woody would do, but. Definitely what Woody was playing with in the early 60s and 70s. But this, Charlie Kaufman's run with it, and this is his thing. Charlie Kaufman is what Woody could be if Woody didn't have to make a movie every single year. I feel like Woody, Woody, like a, a script like this, you don't write this and direct it and knock it out in a year. This is something that this guy thought about and worked on and, you know, and and Woody doesn't have the patience for that. Yeah, but very very much like the same same themes and everything that Woody deals with as far as death and illness and uh, love and you know things like that. It's just like I said, this is this is something that Charlie Kaufman I'm sure sat down and wrote over a period of a, a you know probably a couple of years at least. Woody doesn't have the patience for that. Let me play the second clip because you've just basically led me into this. Because um, uh, your movie sucks. The org was saying how he feels this movie has a central theme of death, 
And um, I'll let him explain that, and then I'll let you carry on, James. Synecdoche, New York is a film that's built around themes. There are multiple themes in the film, but each is reincorporated enough times to show a sense of validity towards them. The biggest theme in the film is death, and from that central theme of death stems other themes and ideas that this film conveys. It's not just about death, it's also about the implications of death. It's about dying with regret knowing that you've wasted your entire life not living. It's about dying knowing that nobody truly understood you. It's about dying without having finished your life's work. It's it's about death coming unexpectedly and without warning. Suffice it to say this film is a little depressing, but that's just a byproduct of the unflinching honesty that Charlie Kaufman presents in his film. He very well could have sugarcoated it, but then we'd have a movie that's just disingenuous. And this movie not only wants you to be thinking about the characters, but it also wants you to be thinking about yourself. It wasn't my goal to make it a depressing movie. I mean, it was my goal to sort of try to be honest about something that that is part of everyone's life, and then it may be maybe by putting that out into the world, there would be some sort of connection that that I could make with other people by by speaking about something that that we all live with. And so that was sort of a thing we live with is, is a hard thing. And, but, and I think part of the reason that no one ever talks about it or it's rarely talked about is because it's very difficult. Well, first of all, anybody who wants to watch this movie, I would say watch this, this YouTube video analysis afterwards. Not so that you could have somebody else's opinions given to you because th that's not what I got out of it. There were just a lot of, there are so many little details in this movie that I didn't pick up on. And that really made me think about it a lot more afterwards. For instance, you know, you mentioned the passage of time and the opening scene of this movie, even though it's one scene, it's, you know, Charlie, uh, Charlie Hoffman, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman comes downstairs, you know, has breakfast with his daughter and his wife is there, you know, uh, uh, in the background. And it, it seems like it's all just one scene. And yet there are little details, things you hear on the radio or the date, uh, on the newspaper or the expiration on the milk that shows you this is months are passing. Uh, in this one scene and uh, little details that a lot of people wouldn't even, you know, I looked at, I was looking at the dates too, and it just wasn't connecting with me um, that this time was passing, but it, it makes it a, a, make a lot more sense later on in the movie when he just starts to rapidly age. Uh, yeah. When, you know, for instance, his daughter goes from being four years old to suddenly 20 and then suddenly, maybe in her like late twenties, early thirties, um, this is a movie that's just details. A lot of yeah. little tiny details. A lot of thought put into every single thing in the movie. To I'm sure to the the actors and uh, set designers and people like that, maybe just were might have thought it was a little bit obnoxious because it's obsessive about every little detail in every frame of the movie. And um, like I said, I, it, I think this is a movie you have to watch multiple times. But that's where I'm conflicted, James, because in my younger days, I would hate a movie like this. Oh, yeah. I, I was 28 when I saw this, and I was like, I think this is good, but fuck this movie. <laughs> yeah, I would say it's pretentious. But again, when I heard the director 
he sounded earnest. And now that I'm older, I can understand what he's trying to do. And don't get me wrong, the last quarter of the movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Samantha Morton, mm-hmm. when their relationship finally crystallizes, it's beautiful to watch. But, you know, that seems a bit more linear than what this movie was going for because it took so long to get there. And, oh, my God, the things them two go through before they get to that point, because that is the very end of the movie, a very sweet part. Mm-hmm. To get to that point, there's so many things happens. And I just thought to myself, how could I walk into this movie not knowing this and enjoy it for the first time? Mm-hmm. And that's why I agree with you. Don't watch um, yourmoviesucks.org analysis of this movie to take his opinion. This guy, I don't know how he was so meticulous. I don't know how long he took making this analysis video. He, he never finished it. <laughs> it's still not done. He never finished it. Wow. And let me tell you something. It, when you, like you just said, James just broke down. You even went over the clock. When you watch the first yeah. video of <laughs> your movie, such a all breakdown of this, he just talks about the opening clock and how it is relative to the whole movie and the concept of time and death. Mm-hmm. Just that one. And I'm just like, is that what this movie is? It's like a museum. And obviously when you watch the movie, the whole set is a museum of the real world that he's created. But then, outside of the set he's created, there's some revolutionary shit going on. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm just like, this is like four movies in one. His kid has been taken away. She's aging. He's aging. He's got this sickness. He's had a relationship with two of his actors. You know, then he's hired someone to uh, to be him in the movie, but then to be him in real life as well to assist him in his life. I'm like, what the fuck is this is insane. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the other movies that, uh, the other Charlie Kaufman movies were directed by other people. Uh, yeah. Spike Jones, especially was, uh, you know, collaborator that he worked with on being John Malkovich and on adaptation. And those are both very, the, you know, Spike Jones has a particular style too, and it goes well with Charlie Kaufman's. But you can see, like, if Charlie Kaufman or if uh, Spike Jones had directed this, it would probably be a little bit more whimsical, uh, not quite as serious, probably a little shorter, a little bit more focused. But um, this is just Charlie Kaufman just sort of set free to just yeah. be his hyper obsessive self and um there's a certain like i said it watching this again i couldn't say it was a a good time and i don't want every movie to be like this but Mm. it did make me it it's sort of like um if you've just had mcdonald's for every meal for a long time and then you actually get like a, a a healthy nourishing meal given to you, you know, it's like, Oh my God. I remember when movies had ideas. Yeah. I remember that if I miss it there, you can point me to all sorts of movies that come out that uh, nowadays that, you know, this movie's brilliant or this has some great ideas into it, but you don't hear about them because they don't get released in theaters. They get released to, they get dumped on streaming these kind of movies are so important to have 
side by side with a fucking superhero movie. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that, that this was a movie, there's no way in hell this movie, which only came out in 2008, would be released in a theater today. No. There's no possibility that that would happen. Not when you've got to have, you know, uh, five different Marvel movies all playing in, you know, one theater. Uh, there's no room for a, a Charlie Kaufman movie. That's why his last movie went to Netflix. Sure. Uh, and even Netflix at this point is sort of like, you know, I might have heard about it if they weren't so busy promoting like, well, we got a movie starring The Rock and we got a movie, you know, where uh, The Rock and Ryan Reynolds are Diamond Thieves or whatever the fuck that movie was. And there's no room in their budget to really promote this in a way that would have gotten to me, who is the audience for it. And not every idea in this movie works, but you know, it's, I, I, I found it, he was doing this high wire act that I was captivated by and, mm. uh, and horrified by horrified by it much more so than I, I would be by an actual horror movie. So, yeah, I, I can honestly say that I loved this movie, and I don't know that I ever want to watch it again. But I'm glad I did watch it. Yeah, I mean, I hate to sound highfalutin, but, you know, people like to use the distinction between films, movie, and cinema. And this is cinema. This is someone taking, you know, through the screens deeper than just a popcorn movie, your experience of your feelings of you're seeing the actors. And because, you know, this is a movie within a movie per se, they're making, well, they're making a play within the movie, mm-hmm. you know, and you're seeing the actors and what they're going through, making the movie and commenting on it and living their lives as well. Um, I agree with you again. Like I said, my initial knee jerk reaction was like, I don't know how to feel about this movie because I didn't know what what this movie was trying to do. And now that I've heard the director talk about it, now I know who the writer is and what he's about. And now I've seen someone thoroughly analyze and I'm like, okay, so this is kind of a movie that keeps on giving. Like I could see myself over the years appreciating this movie more and more and more, just like some of Woody Allen's movies. Like I've said before, mm-hmm. another woman is my favorite Woody Allen movie. And you know, it's very dry. It's very bare bones. It's just acting. It's quite a simple story. It's not the kind of movie that you you think is great when you see it when you're 20. Exactly. Although it reached out to me in my younger years, and I only have more of an appreciation for it as I get older and older. And you hit it, you know, going back to Woody, one of the things you said, amazing observation. Yes, Woody, his, um, what did some people call it? Um, conveyor belt way of making movies because he's a volume director he's just doing it yearly yearly that might end because he's retiring not retiring and he might take a break and then we might see another movie from him in three years and it might be more ambitious because there's a lot of things you know I've, to take a slight sidestep i think about woody Allen's career if that whole maria farrell controversy never happened he was you know in the 80s doing his dramas Mm-hmm. or would he and if he combined that with something like Hollywood ending no not Hollywood ending sorry but it's over Broadway you know and Hollywood ending let's put them together but it's mm-hmm. over Broadway Hollywood ending and um, interiors 
and you've got something that starts to resemble this movie, would Woody Allen have done that? I think it's in his wheelhouse to do that, but because he focused more on churning out the movies year on, year end, you know, that didn't happen. But as you said, I can see a lot of that spirit within Charlie Kaufman as well. So, you know, I can I can easily see why people recommend this. This movie, I have I do not regret seeing this movie at all. I really feel like I'm gonna appreciate this movie the more I see it. And to be fair, I haven't even finished watching YomiResucks.com analysis. I watched the first uh episode and a half and I was just like can this movie be that intricate? He poured everything into this movie. Mm-hmm. And again, upon first watching it, I didn't know how to feel. I didn't hate it because I'm old enough, I'm old enough and obviously smart enough to realize that this movie was trying to say something that went above my head because there's certain things about this movie that distracted me. Mostly the passage of time and editing and the tone. And on that note, let me just say that I didn't find this movie depressing. I thought one of the things that jarred me the most about the movie, that everything had a kind of a dark comedy edge to it. All of his illnesses that first I thought he was just a hypochondriac, but then it turns out he, he never died anyway. He never, well, he died at the end, but he never had some cancer or anything. It was kind of all in his head. Uh, one of the clips I got, James, and I'll let you jump in again, is there was a part of this movie where I knew I was in trouble. Like, I knew that this wasn't just a standard movie. There was a scene with him and his daughter where she said something, and I was like, there's something, this movie's about to take a turn. (laughs) So I'm going to play that right now. And it's just a small scene. And I said, "That's, that's foreshadowing right there. And this is the clip with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and his daughter. Let me zip your coat up. Yeah. What's wrong with your face, Daddy? Uh, it's pustules. It's called psychosis. Spelled differently than psychosis, but it sounds the same. I don't know what that means. Uh, of course not. Uh, well, there are two kinds of psychosis. <clears throat> They're spelled differently. PSY is like if you're crazy, like mama. You know, SY is like these ugly things on my face. You could have both, though. I could, but I don't. And when that pause was there, after she said you could have both, though, I knew that, oh, that's foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, James, so wow. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you dive in. <laughs> you know, the relationship that he has with um, Samantha Morton's character is kind of the heart of the movie, but but also the relationship that he has or doesn't have with his daughter. Yeah. Which to me is the maybe the part that is that makes this so depressing. There's a scene, the last scene between him and his daughter that... Um, It, I think it made me turn on the movie the first time I watched it because it was like the most painful thing I could possibly imagine. Like, as a father, I couldn't imagine that moment playing out worse 
than it plays out in the movie. And I think that was the moment when I watched it the first time where I kind of turned on the movie a little bit. Um, this time I was more prepared for it, but I still was watching it going, wow, this is about as dark as you could go. There's, there's no way to make this any darker and, and more hopeless than how it goes in the, in the finished movie. It's, it's heartrending. But James, let me, let me just jump in there and say, but what she's asking him to say on her deathbed is so absurd. I don't even know where she got, she's asking him to, it, he's trying to say, you know, I've been an absentee father. I'm so sorry for letting your mom take you away. I apologize. And she's asked him to say that, admit you had homosexual sex with, you left me some, some guy. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? The, and, and you, you know, at the same time, she's also, she's basically humiliated. And she's defending the fact that, you know, the woman, you know, who apparently actually raised her was also her lover. So this uh, predator who we as the audience hate as much as Philip Seymour Hoffman hates and yet his daughter is like, you know, don't say anything bad about her. She's, she, you know, is, is wonderful. And she helped me discover my sexuality and everything. And James, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. But this movie is only two hours. Everything that's happening in this movie. I'm like, is this really happening? Yeah. <laughs> really happening. Cause I, again, I could not believe this was actually, I was like, is this a dream? Because this can't be happening. She can't speak English anymore. She's forgotten. She went off with this woman that was living with them, that was meant to be the mom's friend, but turns out she was fucking the daughter, turned it into a prostitute. I'm like, this can't be happening. That's why the word absurd is that, I, I, even as you're explaining this to me, James, I still can't believe that I'm meant to believe this is part of the story. While the man is creating, recreating life with a, 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 a what a four block set with this money, obviously this is completely out of the realm of possibility. He's got an unlimited budget, obviously, because this movie, or sorry, this theater play, this real life theater play, is going on for decades in oh. production, not finished. <laughs> so again, completely fucking absurd. I mean, if you were to describe the plot of being John Malkovich to somebody, they'd be like, what? <laughs> True. True. And, you know, or even, I mean, really, to me, the most absurd movie he's ever been a part of is his adaptation. True. Which is the movie that sort of, it's kind of based on a true story, but not at all. Mm. You know, because it's, it's real people in it. Uh, you know, Meryl Streep and Nicolas Cage, they're all playing real people. Mm. Um, but this is, yeah, like to me, the, the, the moment with the, the daughter dying was the moment that just sort of, I, I didn't, I never really forgot it from when I saw it the first time, but it's maybe it does crystallize what I love about the movie. And what I also just find so difficult with it is I don't know what the hell is happening in that scene. I don't know why. 
the the daughter has turned on him like this. I don't know what the daughter's hoping to accomplish. I don't know how much the daughter is still being manipulated by Jennifer Jason Lee's character. I don't know what's happening in it. And but the thing is, Philip Seymour Hoffman doesn't know what's happening either. Not like these things happen to him and he takes them in stride. Sure. Like, well, this is just the way the world is in this, you know, crazy world that I live in. It's like, no, he's like, what? What is what are you people talking about? Yeah. And there's a part early on where he and Samantha Morton are talking and she mentions to him that she's reading the trial. And for those of you who don't know, the trial is a novel by uh, Franz Kafka that if you read that book and if you watch the, the adaptation that was done by Orson Welles in the uh, 60s, these two share a lot in common because it's just, it's a, they, they both have a very dreamlike um, or really more nightmare-like uh, logic where time can pass in a weird way where people can be one person one second and then somebody else completely in another. Catching that this time, going, oh, the, okay, the, he definitely, I, they throw around that term Kafka-esque. This is very Kafka-esque. Mm. Uh, it's downbeat and it's, it's dreamlike and it doesn't have to make sense to us as the audience because it doesn't make sense to our main character. He doesn't understand what's happening to him. Sure. And that's terrifying. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's not surprising when I, you know, you look into this a little bit that when he began work on this movie, he had been commissioned to write a horror movie. And mm. this is what apparently came out of him. And it, it can be quite horrifying at times. So it's funny how you just mentioned about one character, you know, being one thing and being another. Because there's obviously, ironically, this, I'm going to yo-yo. In this movie, you've got two basically Oscar-winning Woody Allen alumni actors here, Samantha Morton, and one of my favorite actresses from many Woody Allen movies, Diane West. And when Diane West turns up, she seems like an extra, mm -hmm. and she ends up just becoming Seymour Hoffman mm -hmm. <laughs> at the very end. And it, you know, it was it was really right at the end, and it was just the ice on the cake to the metamorphosis. The so many things were flowing with the, especially with the development of this play and the actors hiring actors and then scenes that obviously was happening well things that was going on in his life he just put it straight into the play immediately hiring actors to do it again and that one guy that he decided to play himself because the guy came out of nowhere and just said I know you mm -hmm. I know everything about you hi me that's actually interesting if you watch the um the YouTube series about it, that guy is in the background of like half of the shots before he, you get to that scene. Yeah. That's what he says. So I'll, you know what, James, I'm not even surprised. I yeah. That's what he said. He said, I've been there. I've been following you for the longest time. And I know everything about you. And then he reveals some personal information that he's like, how do you know that? 
even he even says this. I'm going to be a bit crude here. Even Philip Seymour says no. Even a guy mm-hmm. to me even says something about yeah, your wife's pussy was so sweet. Mm-hmm. How did you know that? Yeah. And then I forgot his answer, but he was like, "That's true." How did you know that? And I'm just like, "Wow." By the way, just because it's fun, that actor is uh, Tom Noonan, and he played both Frankenstein's monster in the Monster Squad and uh, the villain in RoboCop Two. Oh wow! Really? He was RoboCop Two. <laughs> Yeah, let's, let's actually let's do some more um, house cleaning and talk about all the actors. So, uh, Michelle Williams, I love Michelle Williams. She's a really great actress. I've loved it in so many movies. One that comes to mind right now is um, she did the movie with that British actor. I can't remember his name right now. Um, My Week with Marilyn, and I love the movie. Really great movie. And right now, Netflix have a um, a movie. I think it's called Blonde. That's yeah. about the life of Marilyn Monroe. And I watched 15 minutes of that movie. Whoa. I've heard that one's rough. That movie blonde, but Michelle Williamson's movie, great. Um, I love all the all the actors are A Star. A Star. I mean, they've done so many great things. They've obviously known the director is a man of vision, so I'm not surprised he got all the I mean, obviously Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, there's there's no need to talk about his greatness. Mm-hmm. But, um, it makes the movie sad too, you know, with him having yeah. died just a few years after it. Yeah, but what a phenomenal role! But I, I do want to say, Catherine uh, Keener, which I believe she was, she was an adaptation, right? No, uh, Andrew Markovich. Sorry, she's always played a bitch. <laughs> I swear, in nearly ninety percent movies, she's always played a really, really big bitch. Especially in uh, Charlie Kaufman is the best at getting her to be the biggest bitch in the world. <laughs> like, yeah. she's never likable in. Uh, she she plays a, a very particular type. Yeah, when she's in one of his movies and uh, is not likable at all. Although I, I do I got to give him credit too for in the movie. You know, we want him to be with Samantha Morton. Yeah. But it's also really clear throughout the entire movie that he very much was in love with Catherine Keener's character. Yeah. And kind of always is, even after she abandons him, even after, you know, all the horrible things. So he's still, you know, he, he goes to her apartment to clean it. Yeah, please. This, this, this is what I'm talking about, James, about comical. How can I not... I know it's sad, and it's meant to be just he's so attached that he just wants to be close to her, even, you know, secondhand. But I'm like, I can't help but find this scene comical. This is ridiculous. And then, you know, the guy's got no scruples about putting those scenes in his play. Which I'm like, wow! You look crazy, and you're putting that in your play. And and the only person to really call him out on it is Michelle Williams. Um, Yeah. She's the only, which, you know, she, she start when he pitches this idea to his cast, uh, they're, they're not together yet. And she just sits there and she's, Oh, that's brilliant. That's That's so brave. That's so brilliant. And she's just that typical kind of, uh, actress. And, you know, then she gets into it and she's like, fuck this. This is crazy. Every you're crazy. Everybody here is crazy. I don't want to be in this anymore. 
But then it's so meta that she's talking to the actor playing him and she's like, oh no, fuck you, no, fuck you, no, fuck him. Fuck yeah. you, the real one. <laughs> they can't even like, there's such a dissociation with the actors because they're playing them so tightly. And obviously there's some tragedy with one of the actors. I'm not really going to spoil, but even that, even when that happens, it's done in this dry, black humour way where I'm like, this is fucking insane. Mm-hmm. And then they move on and put it in. They put that in the play too, right? They put everything in the play. They put everything in the play. No, no sooner does Michelle Williams uh, not only quit the play, but quit her marriage to Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. then Samantha Morton turns to him and goes, oh, I've, I've, I've already put out a call for an actress to replace her. Yeah. Playing her. And there's just nothing, nothing is more important than the play going on. Yeah. And he, uh, to my knowledge, only in the last five minutes of the movie, he names a play, which I don't even think he was serious about. He named some very stupid name. Something mm-hmm. like, I think it was the, the killing animal, something random. Like, dude, that's, that's not the yeah. name of it. <laughs> like you're not you're not serious. That's that's not the name of it. And by the end, he just completely, you know, when him and Samantha Moore finally, because honestly, when the movie starts, he's kind of like a side piece. Like this isn't serious. She just like adores him as a fan. Then she moves on, and then she comes back. It's like, I mean, you know, it, this movie spans a lot of years, but. And then obviously she sadly passes away, and it's just really heartbreaking. And that was a big emotional part of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's I going into this movie a second time, and I feel like I will one day. Now I know I have to, I should take this seriously because <laughs> mm-hmm. the more when I was watching, just things kept happening. Another thing that happened, which I'm like, how James, tell me how I could take this seriously. Seymour uh, Hoffman and Catherine Kenner are in therapy. The therapist is obviously some kind of celebrity therapist who doesn't give a flying fuck mm. about what they're dealing with. It's like a it's like a Family Guy skit. There's there's one point where she he's just in therapy with her alone, and she gives him some bullshit book. Yeah, that she wrote, and then she charges him for it. Yeah, and then later it's actually when she finds out he's really blew up after he gets the unlimited check to make this forever play, it's like she comes on to him. Mm-hmm. And then when, you know, she comes on to him when they just so happen to be on the same airplane together and he's reading her book. Yeah. And as soon as he rejects her, the book just stops having words in it. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was great. Don't Again, that was great comedy. I thought that was fucking fantastic. Charlie Kaufman is a very funny guy. I mean, this has some funny moments to it. Um, Being John Malkovich, especially, and and Adaptation are both really funny. But they're, it's all very bittersweet. Like, he's he's never going to make, like, there's something about Mary. No. There's never going to be a movie like that from him. These movies are always going to deal with death and depression and sad. I mean, like I said, all of the actors in all of the movies that he makes seem to be playing a version of him. Like, if you just look at the lead actors from being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine, and this, you can see they're all dressed kind of the same, their hair's a mess, they're not clean-shaven. They all have, like, a, a 
they all look like him. And that's, like I said, very much like a, you know, Woody making Kenneth Branagh act like him or, or something. I think I'm nearly talked out on the movie because when I hear him talk about, you know, he wants everyone to have their own interpretation, take what they want out. He feels like there's no need for him to make a short narrative. That's fine. You don't have to. And that is fine. I just feel like, you know, even if he just used half of the ideas he had in the movie, it still would have been a mind fuck. (laughs) But when you add the layers upon layers, this is a movie that, you know, I don't think it's intentional, but I think film students are going to love it. Um, Obviously, actors will respect it. Obviously, you know, I I think he was very genuine. I I don't want to say this movie is self-indulgent to the point where he's just using it to show how much of an auteur, excellent auteur he is. No, but self-indulgent is a correct term for it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I guess to to an extent, yeah. But I don't think it's... um, I think he's earnest. When I hear him talk about the movie, I do think it's earnest. I don't know how appreciated the movie will be by... You know, me saying this, I feel like I'm answering my own question, but I don't feel like this movie will be appreciated by the general audience. But in saying that, if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes score and the IMDb score, it's slightly toward positive. It's over, you know, way more than over 50% positive. Mm. I think people who like this movie know what this movie's about, are happy to be watching. And I'm not even coming away from the movie saying I dislike it. I know a younger version of myself would think this movie is pretentious as fuck. Yeah, I knew that I had to investigate this movie to see, or possibly just rewatch it to get the themes. But that's not really who I am as much. I would rather just listen to the director himself and, you know, just explain what he was trying to do with the movie, and then watch it again, and that'll make me appreciate. I just, I'm just not the type. Like, you know, this again. I will love the guy for doing it. The your movie sucks guy for doing it. It's not my thing to go in and get my microscope and look at all the hidden gems and the you know all the little meanings it's just not something i do with any movie not movie yeah, I, love not, I don't do it either i don't do it i won't do it i will just rewatch a movie and I, the only thing i will do is hear different perspectives watch it again and be like oh okay i see that and that's enjoyable and that's something i do see myself doing with this movie down the line now i will say i did start watching the movie again before this review today i watched the first half of it again and i think one of my biggest criticisms now is just that the movie doesn't really start delving into this into the real splinters and the sly psychedelics of what's going on until he gets the funds to do the big thing before that it's really just him Catherine Keane, and his daughter uh, and that's the first half an hour where you just feel like, is he going to die in the movie? I literally, first first time watching the movie, thought it was a straightforward movie about a director who might get cancer and before he dies, he wants to make his magnum opus. And that's what I thought the movie was going to be. And it was that, but way more. Way, 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 way more. And, you know, I wouldn't say I would be selling the movie short by saying that's what it should be. But what it actually is, is something that I will be thinking about for a long, long, long time. And last thing I'll say is, in relation to Woody Allen, again, I will actually just say Woody Allen, because he has it in him to do something like this, but that's an alternate universe. 
in this universe, Woody Allen will just take the broad strokes of this movie and probably separate the ideas in this movie into four different movies. <laughs> well, I can absolutely see Woody doing like a bit where it's like he's making a play in this giant warehouse and inside the giant warehouse, there's another giant warehouse and inside that giant warehouse there's, you know, I, I can see Woody doing that. It would be five minutes out of, out of one of his movies. Yeah. yeah it would, it'd be a joke. Pretty much. But yeah, I, I, you know, I, I have an appreciation for this movie without a doubt, not a bad movie at all. You know, I feel like it would be negative for me to say it's not a movie but in Charlie Kaufman's own words, it's more of an experience in a way, or maybe I'm paraphrasing. But I do feel like, you know, if you watch this movie, you really should check out that your movie sucks mm-hmm. uh, analysis of it and hear Charlie Kaufman talk about it. Or if you're an actor or director, you might just see the movie for what it is, rewatch it again and make it your own mind. Either way, I feel like, you know what? I would just say I respect Charlie Coffin for making this movie. It's not what I thought it was at all. And, you know, in that way, it's kind of a nice surprise. I'm a little bit conflicted, but um, I feel like I know what this is now. And it's rare, as you said, James, earlier, it's very rare you get these kind of movies, all these kind of experiences in cinema. So I'm not going to bash this movie for doing what it did at all. And I respect Charlie Coffin's artistry his philosophy, his work ethic, his execution, because if I didn't say this, uh, in terms of visuals, cinematography, it looks great. i got nothing negative to say about the costume design, about the set design, about the actors. It looks great. I don't know what the budget for this movie was, but... $20 million. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. <laughs> oh, thank you. It doesn't look cheap. It looks like exactly what it is. And that is kind of a feat in itself. And although I haven't seen that movie you mentioned, um, I think I'm thinking about any of this. I know that movie isn't anything, doesn't have the ambition this movie had. And, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, phenomenal performance, rest in peace. Everyone did a great job. I got nothing negative to say about the actors. I was just mm, a bit flummoxed by the movie on first watching. But I'm looking forward to watching this movie again one day now that I know what it is. One day. <laughs> <laughs> One day. Maybe another 15 years from now. But uh, I, I, I'm really glad that uh, this one came up because, it, like I said, it's a movie that I didn't... I don't think I, I really understood it the first time. I think I was, I was thrown off by what was happening. Um, and... I also, I was with somebody at, like, you, you ever, you ever like watch a movie with somebody who the entire time they're going, what's happening? What's happening? Oh yeah. And it prevents you from understanding what's happening. Uh, I think that was going on at the time too. Um, but watching it this time as, as heavy as it was, uh, it felt like my, my brain was saying, Oh, thank you for watching. <laughs> like, <laughs> Thank you for thank you for watching this and not watching She-Hulk or you know whatever. Um, oh, She-Hulk is so goddamn awful. Oh, oh I, w- I won't watch it. <laughs> I have a video coming out about that though at some point. But um, watching this, like I said, afterwards, after I was done watching it, I felt you know I felt sad. 
Uh, I felt introspective. I felt all the things the movie wanted me to feel, but I also felt this anger at just like, we used to get movies like this, you know, and, and they weren't all great. And I'm not even saying necessarily, I mean, I, I think this is one of those movies that I would have to see like three or four times before I could even really form a concrete opinion about it. But the fact that, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to go to a theater and watch a movie like this anymore is, it's infuriating. Uh, I won't even call it sad. It's just infuriating that, uh, you know, the, the direction that cinema has gone in since this movie came out, which came out the same year as Iron Man. I'm not saying <laughs> Marvel movies aren't cinema. I'm not, you know, but at the same time, I, I feel like I remember, you know, I remember a time when I would have been excited for the next Marvel thing because they didn't come along every day. Mm. It was like, oh, it's summertime, you know, and you'd watch you'd watch some summer popcorn movies for a while, and then it would be fall, and you'd be watching movies like this that were trying to get an Oscar. Now it's just Marvel every week, Star Wars every week, and there's no escaping it. And, it, you know, it, it dominates all of the discussions to the point where, you know, I'm looking forward to watching that Spike Jones movie on, or not Spike Jones, the uh, uh, Charlie Kaufman movie on Netflix now. But I wish I'd heard about it then. And, you know, that there had been more of a discussion about it, the way that there was a discussion around this movie when it came out and around, uh, you know, being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine. Definitely. Yeah. Those were those were kind of event movies the years they came out. And now he makes a movie and you know, it goes straight to streaming. And that's that's sucks. Yeah. Well, you know, I still think he's a respected director, writer. I'm sure you know, I'm I hope he's got a long term deal with Netflix. Uh, I didn't, you know, I don't know. Maybe we'll, like, will we ever talk about that other movie? I'm thinking about, and who knows? But yeah, uh, you know, I, it's got no shame to, to be had for this movie. People love the movie. Again, again, it's slightly more positive anyway. So, you know, I'm just uh, a basic bitch sometimes when it comes to these things. But I like to think I've evolved a bit. And I'm so glad that there's other people talking about the movie in, in great, analytical way so i highly recommend anyone has seen this movie or thinking about seeing this movie just tie your watching with this movie with the your movie sucks.org's analysis and even though he didn't finish it trust me you know you'll feel like you get what you got because as you might have heard in that clip charlie kaufman didn't do a um a commentary track for the movie and you know i, I, I you know what i you know, I've heard directors say that sometimes. Once in a while, I don't remember what other directors say. I don't want to do a commentary track because I don't want people are going to make up their own minds anyway. I don't even know why I said that. People are going to have their own interpretation anyway. I'm one of those people, slightly um, tiptoeing away. I don't believe in canon. When people say this is canon, yeah, it's canon until something else replaces it, and then that old canon 
is now not the, the same thing with Star Wars, same thing with DC, same thing with Marvel. They change the timeline. So whenever someone says, you know, 10 years from now, Charlie Coffin can say, you know what, this is what I was trying to do with the movie. And he puts it out there. And then him saying that I don't want to... So when directors say that, people have their own interpretation of the movie, even if you tell them what you what you think you were trying to do anyway. I mean, I, I said this in a video um, this week where, where it was about fan edits. And I was talking about, like, the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Mm. And... Um, where it's like, well, that's canon now. They've ruined Star Wars. And it's like, or just don't watch it. Don't count it. Like, yeah. you know, to me, I watch Star Wars, you know, and, and Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader fight on the Death Star. That's the first time they've seen each other since uh, Revenge of the Sith. And mm-hmm. I don't care that somebody else made a show and it says this. I don't care. I'm not going to count it. I'm not going to let it ruin something for me. And I've heard directors, I think Christopher Nolan, uh, I think it was Christopher Nolan came out and he, he weighed in on like the ending of inception. And he said, well, I think this is what happened. And I'm like, I don't give a shit what you think happened. (laughs) I'll think what I want to think about how that movie ended. So again, all I'm trying to say is I I love honestly, James, I'm one of those people I actually love to hear directors' perspectives because I will always take away what I want to take away anyway. I'm not like, that's what he said, so I guess that's it. The end. That doesn't make no. Well, and if you're going to watch your uh, moviesucks.org's videos, to me, it's it's what I got out of it less than his opinion about it was his analysis and breakdown of what's happening in scenes. Mm. Uh, when it comes to like i said with with like the the time lapses in the very first scene something that now if i were to rewatch the movie i would be like then i'd see it and i'd go oh, okay now I, you know that's i'm i'm glad that i'm i'm recognizing that that's happening in the movie and if uh, charlie Kuhlman came out and said to you that was completely wrong would that ruin your yeah it was all the props were wrong you know they just all had different dates it didn't mean anything I'd be yeah. like you, Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> <I> th- <laughs> hey, you! You ruined it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to believe you're a genius and not that your props department sucks, isn't it? <laughs> but you know what? And you know what, James? I want to end this whole conversation on saying this. One of the main reasons I love film and cinema is because of the conversation it brings. That's why I love doing this podcast with you because it's just the conversation, and that's what they're again. That's what you said. We're all meant to take our own things away and discuss and relate that to our lives and our, it just it that's what makes cinema have life energy to me. That might sound hippie-ish, but that's the thing I love about cinema and stories and you know writing. That's what I love about you know writing in general. Just, just talking about it and sharing our opinions and you know it's it's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. And it's a lot more fun than sitting around and saying you know we watched the new episode of she-hulk let's break it down (laughs) on that note if anyone wants to know a good youtuber talking about she-hulk in in high regard there's a girl on a lady on youtube called that star wars girl and let me tell you something man what joy watching (laughs) her reviews of she-hulk nothing but joy and if you know what I'm talking about, leave a comment in the comment section down below. But James, I think we've talked out on um, 
skin next skin next to the actually before you know what i'm gonna do something sweet james i got one last clip because i can't say the name of the movie properly skinnessity or skinnectomy or skinnectomy or whatever it's called why don't we play i got that clip of the girl singing it in the intro and i'll play that before we move on and wrap up the show here's the um philip seymour hoffman's daughter singing the intro at the beginning of the film, we can hear our main character's daughter, Olive, singing about Schenectady. Schenectady is actually a real city in New York where the main characters live. So the title of the movie is an appropriate play on words, and I'll explain exactly what that means a bit later. Listening to the song she's singing, you can kind of get an idea of what this film wants you to be thinking about. Now, as the singing goes on, it gets drowned out by the radio and becomes a little bit more difficult to understand. And the subtitle track included with the film just pretends as though the song doesn't exist. So I've decided to subtitle it for you with what I'm pretty sure is being said. There's a place I long to be, a certain town that's dear to me, home to Mohawks and G, it's called Schenectady. I was born there and I'll die there, my first home I hope to buy there, have a kid or at least try the sweet Schenectady. And when I'm buried and I'm dead, upstate worms will eat my head. You know, if these clips are still on YouTube, I might get content IDs for that because I don't put the whole thing on YouTube anymore. I don't have to worry about that. Oh, man. So that has been our discussion on Schenectady. I can't even say it after the lady just said it three times. But <laughs> that's our discussion on that. If you watch the movie, let us know of your thoughts. Sorry, the movie or the experience, whatever you want to call it. Let us know your thoughts in the comments section down below. We'll love to hear it. Thank you for the pick. To our listeners, to the people on the Woody Allen subreddit that um, recommended it, like I said, from now on, we're going to get a recommendation out. So there should be, what, three or four a year. So, James, on that note, on the next discussion, which is your pick, what are we going to be talking about next? We're going to go in blind for the next one because neither one of us have seen this. Ah. Uh, but it is a movie that came out in 2012 that's called The Details, starring Toby Maguire. Ooh. They always say, look in the details. Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire, not obviously known for Spider-Man. He's an underrated actor. He made a great movie. I think sometime after this movie, we're going to be talking about called Porn Sacrifice. Did you ever see that movie? Mm-mm. It's about, uh, it's a true story on one of the world's greatest chess players and how he was just unhinged. <laughs> I saw the trailer for it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, great movie, and he did another movie called Cider House Rules back in the 90s, just before Spider-Man. Tobey Maguire is a seasoned actor, got the face of a young man, always got this wide-eyed look on his face. But yeah, it was great to see him in another Spider-Man movie. But anyway, I digress. Looking forward to talking about the DLs. James, on that note, I've had you on here long enough. Where can the people get in contact with you if they want to do so? Well, you can find me on uh, YouTube. Our YouTube channel is Manic Expression. Uh, you could also find my books on Amazon. And uh, I'm not sure what day that this uh, is going to premiere, but my new book comes out on October 25th, 
It is called Don Giovanni, and uh, you can find that on Amazon. Wow, and that is your self-published book, is that right? Yeah, that's the one that uh, my agent told me that there is no audience for it, so I'm going to prove her wrong. James, I'm telling you, you know, if I had money, I know you're against this, and I'm going to say this, I'm not even going to edit this out, I'm going to say this on air. If I had money, I would pay for the rights to turn your book into audiobook. We need, I'm telling you, James, that will double your sales. Whatever sales you're going to get, we need to get you to audiobook, all your books from now on. We have been talking about the possibility of doing an audiobook with a full cast Damn. for the Manic Expression YouTube channel. Whoa. That is a, that's a gigantic project that could take quite a while to do, but it is in discussion. Interesting. Okay. Okay, James, you're jumping up higher than I want. <laughs> Let's start with the with you narrating the book first. Then we'll get the full cast. You, you got to crawl before you work, buddy. But like I said, let's, you guys, watch this space. I'm making a promise to James now. If I get rich, I'm going to fund all of his books, audio format. Because I'm telling you, this guy, and I've written, I've, sorry, I've read one of his works. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just went on a little side rant there. You can find me at Planet Tyro on Twitter as well. Again, please leave a review if you can find the time, find any hard to do so. We really appreciate that. But it's been long enough. This is nearly an hour and 20 minutes, one of our longer episodes in a long time. Thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen and others. Uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Uh, take care. Peace out.